We're starting things off with a word from our sponsor. Since 1998, DVD Netflix has delivered more than 5 billion DVD and Blu-ray rentals to movie lovers in every American zip code and to military bases around the world in their famous, iconic red envelopes. With an extensive library of titles from the early 1900s to today and shows from such premium networks as HBO and Showtime, DVD Netflix is a must for physical media lovers. Featuring a variety of different plans starting at as little as $8.99 per month, it's a great way to experience DVDs and Blu-rays with special features and commentary tracks you won't find anywhere else. A member for over 20 years, so well before I ever began working with the service as an official blogger on acting or as a DVD, Netflix, Twitter, film discussion host, I think it's a terrific way to keep our vintage video store memories alive and support the physical media that we love so much. So be sure to check out DVD Netflix for yourself at dvd.com. Now, on with the show. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Well, for today's episode, we are tackling the FX Australia series, Mr. In-Between. We're going to have a conversation with my friends Blake Howard, Jed Ayers, and Rob Belushi, along with the show's creator, writer, and star, Scott Ryan. That will comprise a bulk of the episode. But before we do that, we wanted to give you an overview of what Mr. In-Between is and hopefully encourage you to check it out and then come back and listen to this podcast so you don't hear too many spoilers. Your level of spoilers and our level of spoilers will probably vary. But we want to go ahead and tell you about Mr. In-Between. So kicking it off, I'm going to start with the man who first told me about the show, my good friend, Jed Ayers. Hey, I'm super happy to be here talking about Mr. In-Between because it is just all my favorite shit in one place i love movies mostly but uh crime is is specifically my my area that i i'm i'm kind of nerdy about and i remember about 10 15 years ago now crime movie uh climate was was really being um electrified by stuff coming out of australia especially with Blue Tongue Films, um, the the Edgerton brothers and David Michaud and Andrew Dominic, of course, yeah. and John Hillcoat were were kind of taking over the uh, uh, sensibilities and coming to, to Hollywood to do it. But I was super excited for all things Australian crime for a few years, and um, and then you know later it became Korea and uh, things changed. Now it's China, um, but. Um, yeah. Uh, I remember talking to a friend of mine who's actually been a guest on your show, uh, the fabulous crime writer, Dennis Tafoya. And we were talking about all these Australian films of the, uh, the late aughts and the early uh, teens. And um, I brought up Nash Edgerton's uh, The Square, which I oh, phenomenal. Loved, loved so much. And he said, have you seen Mr. In-Between? And I said, no. He said, drop everything, go watch Mr. In-Between. Nash Edgerton directed every episode. And I Mm -hmm. went in blind, not knowing anything about it. 
And I watched uh, at the time season three was on the air. I watched seasons one and two in a day and was caught up to season three for the last half of the season. I got to watch it weekly with everybody. And it was, uh, it was, it was just one of the the best TV watching uh, experiences of my life. It's, it's basically a fire sale at the trope store. (laughs) Um, but, uh, none of it is treated quite the way, uh, it's usually treated. Um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's a show about a criminal, professional criminal underground Sydney. Uh, you know, he's got a straight job working security at a club, but he, uh, takes jobs from underworld figures, usually coming through, uh, his boss, the owner of the club. Uh, and he does a little bit of everything, a little bit of debt collecting, a little bit of uh, murder for hire, you know, mm-hmm. muscle work. Um, he's even called upon to do a little detective stuff. Um, yeah, a little revenge. Yeah. yeah, a little little of everything. He'll do whatever. Um, and so, it, you know, right away, it, it, he's also got a family life that he keeps separate. And so right away, you know, it's going to draw comparisons to stuff like the Sopranos or breaking bad, or even Dexter, where you got this guy doing, you know, his, his bifurcated his life into his, his straight life and his criminal life. And, and will they, will they overlap? Will they meet? Will he be able to keep things compartmentalized? And, and, um, but uh, it's also, too reductive i think to draw to compare him to those because even though he gets into things like has to go to anger management uh to avoid jail time and has to you know get into his uh his the way he he uses violence um, yeah as a as a a tool um in his straight life as well as uh <laughs> as well as his criminal life um gets into relationships mm-hmm. uh you know, he's got a young daughter that he's taking care of and a brother with uh, some uh, illness that is, is debilitating and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, issues with his, his father. And, and so there's all, all these all these things that could become kind of over overwrought and, and, and or treacly sweet and, and uh, really um, kind of bog down the show. But it's so light and so quick on its feet it moves from you know yeah. brutal violence to uh, really heartwarming mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> as shocking as that is and really funny and, and yeah very funny yeah and it burns through so much plot in just like 25 to 30 minute episodes which is incredible it kind of makes other shows that are like twice as long look very, very slow by comparison. Very yeah. sluggish, very disrespectful of your time when you can yes. see you see what they can do, uh, what they can do here. So anyway, that's enough of an introduction for me, I think. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, you and Rob are, are just as big a fan as I am. Um, I just want to talk about it now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was so glad you recommended it. I think when you did, I was watching something else at the time and like, wrote it down and forgot about it. And then shortly after that, Donald Logue recommended it as well because we were going back and forth recommending Australian movies yeah. and uh, Australian series. And he's like, you have to start this right away. It's on Hulu. And I did. And I just became like a super fan very, very quickly. 
So was very stoked to be able to cover this with all of you guys and to see how many people, especially my friends like you and Rob, were big fans of the series. But Rob, how did you first discover Mr. Between? Similarly to Jed, uh, a friend of mine, a guy named Lee Coco, a, a fabulous actor and um, someone who throws me, you know, wrecks often. He's like, you got to check this out. And I remember very um, specifically when, when I started to see uh, ads for it on FX or whatever, I really didn't like the title. I was like, this looks <laughs> terrible, you know, and um, just kind of waved it off. And and my buddy was like, dude, you're going to love it. And I, uh, just like Jed, you know, I think, I think I watched all three because I was that far behind in two, two days or two and a half days or something. It was thrilled. Like, so, you know, when you got a great book, you can't wait to read is mm -hmm. that feeling for me because, you know, I thought you and Jed did a great job of setting it up, but um this, uh, it, uh, I, I think what this show does so well is it just offers um, a view of a person living his life. And it takes some of the judgment and morality out. Um, uh, he's doing bad things. Yeah. Um, and later you start to understand the seed of why he does bad things. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah, how to survive this world. And he has a, a conversation with his daughter, who is incredibly good in the series. Yes, um, she really is. And their relationship is amazing. But just he says, you know, if you knew how how evil the world was, you wouldn't leave. You wouldn't go outside. And yep. that's why I got mad because I was scared. And mm -hmm. you. Uh, I just loved it so much because um, like you, I mean, I definitely cried a bunch. I laughed at a bunch of stuff and especially as it moves through from season to season, it gets way more poised and confident. So um, the, really the laughs are, yeah. yeah, the laughs are always organic and earned um, from like uh, um, being able to relate or find references akin to the relationships on screen as opposed to out and out jokes, which I think there's a few out and out jokes, you know, early on. Oh, sure. It's, sometimes it's a bit cute, you know, but like, man, does, does, does the voice strengthen it as it moves through and um, great performances. And you're talking about Nash. Yeah. You're Edgerton, but especially in comparison to a show like breaking bad, um, he is so simple and elegant and respectful of the writing and the actors and, and really? still so beautiful. But yeah. I feel like we're Vince Gilligan is like taking your head and moving it all around. <laughs> this little on a swivel. Yeah. Yeah. Showing you how much, how constructed it is. Like it's way more docudrama and, and, and in that way for me, very poetic um, to watch this person's arc. And why why Ray Shoesmith is is Mr. In Between and what he is in the middle of. It's not just the margins of society, but it's this transition from um, you know, who he wants to be for other people, who he is, and what that means about where he should exist. And um, God, I just I just loved it so much. 
Yeah, there's some real ambiguity with it. And I think that goes so much to the writing and to Natch's direction. Absolutely. And the criming is good. The criming is very good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The, um, I, Rob, I like uh, how you talked about the uh, the writing of it and and um, and the respect that the that the director had for um, for the material, um, and I and I think that it it partly comes out of one director and one writer for the entire the entire Agreed. series. Itself. There were things set up in the first season that didn't pay off till the second or the third that that you know felt tossed off. They didn't feel like um, they're really planting a seed here. You know, mm-hmm. they, they it felt organic and light and tossed off. And some things pay off, and you wouldn't know unless you were paying super close attention. Yes, know. when I that watched is, it the second time, all of a sudden, right? whoa, yes. Right. And so you wonder, I mean, were they planning to do that all along or was that just, uh, you know, we don't know, but we know that that they were consistent. They were really consistent. There aren't a lot of, um, you know, dropped threads that often happen in in TV shows that go several seasons where Mm -hmm. something you were pretty interested in, intrigued by early on is is just kind of peters out and you know no everything is is seen through and and so many things are seen through that you don't even realize until you've watched it a few times oh there was a little mini thread here that i didn't pick up on that uh you know it's really a nice thing i was under the impression and i'm not sure why except for the quality of of the show uh i was under the impression that he had been that um that Scott Ryan had been a stand-up comedian. Oh wow! Okay. And I looked and looked, like you know, Eric Bana. Kind of... I didn't find anything about okay. that. He's never mentioned anything. And I think it just comes back to how well the show is put together, how well thought through everything is. You can feel how much care went into examining the character, the situation what kinds of things he's going to have opinions about what kinds of things he's not, you know, what the reality, what the consequences of living your life a certain way or, um, or holding certain values. And that that's part of the, the, the appeal of the show is figuring out well, what is his code. It's not, he's yes. got one. And it but what is it? Yeah. Yeah. You don't, uh, you know, he, he's not a white hat. He's not, entirely a black hat either he you know Mm -hmm. he's you know we come up with a title that maybe uh put that together but uh he's he's (laughs) his code is is every time he he got it nailed down he you know he he, uh he really surprises you yeah yeah that arc from monsters um which is a really powerful episode where he intervenes on behalf of a father trying to figure out what happened to his daughter and then a season later I mean it gets progressively darker when he loses his tether I won't say why Um, his few people who may have been guiding influences or stabilizing influences are no longer in his life and suddenly he is the one maybe disappearing a young woman as well. And so it, it does 
bring back some echoes and make you think about earlier episodes in a new way. And I think, you know, it will reward you for watching it a second time. Some shows, they depend too much on whodunit. It's not quite, you know, the same experience, but this one does get richer, I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love the idea. You know, he's so pointedly says in the van with the guy, the, the the president of the of the biker club like every job has its downside and yeah. like it's so he never there's no pity in his existence for himself and like it kind of harkens back to his his childhood in that wonderful scene by the yeah. fire pit and in the back house with his girlfriend where he explains essentially his whole super objective in life which is like if you don't fight bullies you'll be extinguished you know yeah. um but the the dark and the light of him is is such an interesting thing and mm-hmm. the idea that he you know one of his codes is that he's a professional you know yes and a job is a job because I love that with Ray, like the buck stops here. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, it, that happens in the, in the kitchen with the, with the guy cooking pasta. If yep. you've seen the show, you'll know like the buck stops here or, or with the president of the biker gang or even with Gary, you know, who's like, yeah. if you watch it, it's in one of the first episodes, but he's, he, he'll do one thing terrible <laughs> to some evidence but he won't let it go in his car, you know, what I mean? yes. it's like, and he cannot be moved, you know? So, um, but you do see him do some really bad things, but also um, some things that he decides to do to kind of create an equilibrium in the world that, that he can continue to function. in. so there's like, he's not a vigilante so much as like, like what he says in, um, in his anger management class is like, if more assholes were smacked up, there would be less assholes in the world. And you see that happening all the time. The other thing I love about Ray is that he's so incredibly friendly to everyone. And whenever someone says, Hey, how you doing? He always answers so honestly. And in the moment of like, yeah, pretty good, mate. How are you? You know, like (laughs) it's, it's, it's so, he's so connected to the person asking of it. Such a small thing, but I love it. But he extends that not just to people on the street or, or, um, you know, in his professional life in the straight world, but when he's, there's a scene where he is, we know the audience knows he is taking some people to kill them and he's driving them in his car, taking them out to kill them. The people in the car think he's taking them out to help him, to help them uh, solve a problem, but we know he's killing them and yes, they're having a conversation in the car about real life stuff. Mm -hmm. And he is not, he's given them, real life answers he's not he's not sugarcoating anything but he's also you can tell it's coming from a place of no this is what this person needs to hear to really help them even though it's never going to help them they've got you know 
20 minutes an hour to live something like that it, you know most why why does he do why doesn't he just tell them what they'd want to hear <laughs> why oh, i know play along you know uh uh just sugarcoat everything and make make this you know the easiest thing but no he's like helping them grow trying to help them grow as people yeah up until you know he kills them um, this is after the negotiation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But it's a really puzzling thing. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's funny when you think about it, but in the moment, it's really kind of poignant. And it's this weird tension of, you know, oh, this is really thought, thoughtful advice, and and it's maybe hard to hear. It's hard to say. Why was why is he wasting the energy? having this hard conversation with somebody he's about to, you know, that he doesn't really have any relationship with, but he's mm-hmm. he really cares. He's an he's honest. Really yeah. He's an honest soul. We should say, <laughs> but he's, it's, it's funny too, because th- that part of his, I hate to call it a code because, the, uh, because that sounds, that sounds tropey like too, a Melville. But, yeah. Yeah. But there's a, you're not sure where it comes down because he is so willing to, you know, he doesn't take shit. Mm-hmm. He calls things out. Sometimes he should let things slide and he doesn't, but, mm-hmm. but he calls things out with people he loves with, with, uh, you know, he, he respect is a big thing for him. He says, yeah, it really is. And there's a, there's a point where he has a conversation with someone he's got a, um, you know, a serious show long relationship with the, the dynamics of that are, are changing. Mm-hmm. And they've seen a side of him that he's tried to keep, tried to keep uh, away from them. And they say, you know, I'm, you know, you, I don't know if I can, I, I can be around you anymore. Um, yeah. And he says, well, you know, I would never, you know, he says, I would never hurt you. hurt you. And we believe him because we know we do, you know, he's, yeah, he, there's lines but he's not going to cross, but you believe her at the same time, her response, which is, that's what somebody told right. her as well. So the last so guy said, yeah. 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 I mean, so it's like, you can't argue either person because you think they're being sincere in the moment and you understand where they're coming from but yeah they they both are and they both both have real validity uh given to them however i think in season in in the last season we as you mentioned he's he's kind of in crisis some stabilizing factors have been taken away and we start to see him go back on his word Uh, yes we do for the first time, mm-hmm. he quitting smoking. He quits yep. smoking for his daughter. Comes back. And he just keeps doing it. And if he can't quit smoking. Mm-hmm. For somebody he loves. Yes. Right. Can he do these other things that he's promised he'd never do? And Yeah. And that I, makes I you question that it. Yeah. You know, that that's a really, uh, it's an interesting kind of chink in the armor that um yeah you know one interesting thing i noticed this time around too as far as his relationships with women was um both 
in the beginning of the series and at the end, his seductive scenes both lead in where he is going to correct a past wrong or a something that they critique. So she, at the beginning, Allie is talking about her friend and, you know, she's dating a shit kisser or something. And so then she kisses him and it leads into, okay, we're going to be okay because we're compatible uh, as kissers. And then at the end of the series, yes, with Zoe, (laughs) who has had um, bad luck in the sack with the latest guy who wasn't getting her there. And, um, you know, he's like, well, I know what I'm doing. And so, again, it's kind of his sort of MO of being Mr. Fix-It. And uh, that I love that that's carried through even romantically, that he is going to be that sort of figure. And I thought that was kind of funny this time around. Yeah. Well, it's also like give Ray a job. If yes. You tell him to give go, him a task. Like, he's going a, to do it. Yeah. Yep. If you tell him to be like, be normal and pick up on a girl, you get what happens at the dog park, you yep. know, where he freezes up and is like a total ghoul. <laughs> but if you're like, hey, I've got a need. Can you fill it? And it's a specific task. He's a yes. shoesmith, baby. He'll yep. cobble it. <laughs> yeah, I know. What a perfect name for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He puts uh, he puts the shoes on your problems. Yeah. Walk away. I love that um God the, on the second watch the the picture of Zoe where it mm-hmm. is in his car yeah. at the end broke my heart. Yep. It broke my heart. It, Ray is I feel like the character of Ray takes nothing for granted and no. doesn't expect much from life. No. Nope. So m- moments of connection and kindness are so valuable to him. So yep. in those moments at the cabin with his brother or oh even God. Yeah. when he sees Allie on the street and how kind he is to her. Like that's all he wanted the, was her to be happy. And yeah, the, the that killed me. Yes. Moments, oh God, that killed me. I was like, Oh, oh my God. God, I would yeah. never be that as cool as Ray. She has been there. You would see yeah. like how broken hearted I, I was in that moment. But uh, yeah, he's ultimately a good dude who, who like has, a lethal skill set and uh, you <laughs> know, no moral special set of skills. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A particular set of skills honed through a, a lifetime <laughs> of work. Um, I feel like uh, we're, I mean, all of the, the poignant stuff that we're talking about here is absolutely a huge part of the show. But I think people who hadn't seen the show listening to this might get the impression that That's it's a pretty tender. modeling thing. And it is ah, absolutely It not. is it's funny so as hell. No. So light on its feet. Great action it. scenes, too. My God. The shootouts. Yeah, it's thrilling. It's 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 all of the all of these things in these short doses, these small micro doses of each. And you, something we got into just a tiny bit in the interview coming up is the structure of the show, mm-hmm. which is unconventional to say the least. The episodes don't typically, a handful of them do, but they don't typically lead up to like an action climax or the yeah, true issue that has been going on for the entire episode or you know um sometimes the action climax happens in the first five minutes and then you got 20 minutes of really gripping relational stuff or uh, Mm -hmm. you know really funny hijinks with gary or uh 
you know, it, it keeps it so it changes every time you're about to say, you know, maybe it's going to get bogged down here. Maybe this it can't pull out of this sort of spiral. It changes tone and pace yes. and so quickly, so lightly. Um, it's it's kind of a marvel. Uh, you know, the first time you see it, I think it washes over you. But watching it, you know, I, I watched it like four times in the last few weeks. Um, and, you know, it gets more and more impressive that way, how mm-hmm. how nimble it is with with tone. And, you know, it, it shows you, you know, like if you pitched it, I'd love to hear what the pitch was. Yeah. But the pitch... It, it's never going to sell if you, if you're saying, you know, it's not leading up to a, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, an action climax or a suspense climax or something like that. Every episode it's, um, you know, uh, it's going to end on a fart joke or it's going to be, uh, um, uh, you know, a really uh, a serious emotional gut punch or, um, yeah. going to come out of left field again and again and again. And, um, but then we're not, we're not going to stay with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Constantly throwing you. It kind of reminds me of, remember when ER first landed on the airwaves? I remember some of the criticisms was like, well, if you don't like what's happening now, wait 90 seconds and something new. And, um, you know, it, it isn't to that extreme. Like it was almost like changing channels back then when, when ER was a new show, you know, every five seconds there was something else, which, I mean, it's a phenomenal series, but just the criticism at the time was um, that show was constantly changing, but this is able to balance tone and mood and so many different plot elements and characters and pull things back. Like you guys mentioned stuff like, you know, uh, I think season two, episode two is maybe my favorite episode or definitely it's up there. And that is using this hilarious thing from the pilot essentially but it's also buried within some very dramatic stuff, backstory involving his bullying, and it's all just blended together. It's hard to describe it to somebody who hasn't seen the show, I guess. Yeah. Rob, do you have a favorite episode? I don't know. I, and like, I forgive like the kind of sentimental, uh, you know, stereotypical actor approach to the, the weepy uh, <laughs> di- digestion of this crime thing that's definitely me um uh, just I, I love so many of them i mean yeah i i think jed what you're saying is so great like the crime and uh is so great and so brutal mm-hmm. and that show is not different that that's just a good crime show i think what makes this show and why why i'm so continually surprised by it is that change of pacing. And it's, it's what happens right in between what Mm -hmm. Jason Statham does in the movie or what, you know, whoever other hitman or professional does, you know, and who is the guy, who does he hang with? What is important to him? And, and the answers to those questions and, you know, are are what selling yourself on the title is what I see now, Rob. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm coming full circle. It's a really good title after you watch it. <laughs> to me, still not the best marketing, but I, I get why why it is. Uh, uh, I loved a lot of them. I mean, it's I don't have a favorite. Um, you know, the one with um, his brother. Yes. That, 
ends in the cabin is a, a, a great one for me. And um, I just, I think the show to me on like Jed was talking about, you know, like a stand-up comedy routine yeah, is similar in that like these jokes don't feel like they're planted. They just feel like small callbacks to things that have been deemed important. And that's what I love about this show. Like I don't see that. I don't remember it as episodes so much as moments. And I feel like the show so well goes from moment to moment in this person's life. And um, you get to track that in real time. There's no flashbacks at all ever. And you're just Mm -hmm. in the here and now with Ray doing his best to deal with life on life's terms, occasionally asserting his own conditions in ways that he can't. So no, I mean, I love all those moments where, where Ray is put to a test. I think my favorite moment, which we talk about in the interview, is that small moment with Dave at the end of season one, where he makes kind of a surprising decision. Yes, I agree with and, you. And that how Dave sees it, which makes much later on so devastating, mm-hmm. you know, Um because okay. Dave becomes president of Australia and goes after, <laughs> you know, it's it's sad to see what happens to Dave. No spoilers, no spoilers. <laughs> I didn't want to give it away. So anyway, but, but friendships are are few and far between for Ray because he's 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 quote not really a crew kind of guy, join a crew kind of guy, you know. Yeah, but, that the join a crew kind of guy uh, comment comes late in the run of the series but early on we see somebody that he has had some you know there, there's a there's an episode where yeah he he finds he's been working with an undercover cop mm-hmm. and it does not resolve the way no you would, um, you would imagine the, yeah the the way it resolves is is i, I think that was that was maybe the moment that I knew I was all in on the show. Again, I watched the entire first season in a sitting. So this happens in the first, you know, um, I think when that moment happened, I said, Oh shit, this is, (laughs) this is not just like pickling my, my easy to find spots. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This this show's really got my number. Yep. um and yeah it, it it's it's it never let me down there Absolutely. are you know the the sopranos the 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 therapy stuff was a great window in to uh tony's character but you know in my mind they ran out of interesting things to have melfi do on that show i mean it's an all-timer show that's a great show but that we got to keep coming back to the, the therapist thing. Um, mm. I think really p- played out pretty fairly quickly on that show. Um, and so, you know, as soon as he ends up in the, the group here on, on Mr. In between, I thought, Oh, here we go. This is what's going to uh, be. The I know. I thought it was going to keep coming back to that. Yes. Yeah. And the, um, you know the the relationship with his brother you know who he is is increasingly dependent on ray to take care of him 
And I thought, oh, God, here we go. Here's what's going to kind of suck the life out of it. I mean, the Nicholas Kasim as, as uh, remarkable Brucey yeah. is, is a fabulous uh, mm. performer. And, you know, I'm never, it, it's incredible that I'm never tired of him on screen. But I, when you worried it was going to, yeah. I was worried that mm-hmm. it was going to be the thing that, uh, that really was the, the weak spot, you know, and the same with Ali. Um, Satchwell is, is delightful and uh, really has a lot. She to really is, and, yeah. Bring to it, but again, I thought, uh, or the daughter, even good. you know, is it going to yeah. be too cutesy, or in order to yeah. temper the darkness of the show, and they managed to make her growing up just as scary in places, right. if not oh, more. Yeah. The yeah. ex-wife, uh, Tran, uh, Natalie yeah. Tran, um, you know, that Dad, I'm relationship, 12. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 12 that relationship is never played really the way, I mean, yes, she gets to be, you know, the kind of the, the nag to him, but she doesn't come off as a stereotype as a nag. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she gets to play these moments of him saying, you know, I understand how you've heard one side of this story and it sounds like I'm a real asshole or, mm-hmm. you know, inconsiderate or something, but and she gets to play those scenes in a way that not a lot of roles uh, get treated in, in, uh, in television and film, you know, there, there are a lot of one note um, performances because that's all they're given room to do, but you know, she's not got a lot of screen time, but she really, she, she brings a lot to it. And she's allowed to, uh, really flesh out uh, that character, um, mm-hmm. which in turn colors in some of some of Ray. You wonder how did these two ever end up together? Yeah, exactly. You know, what was the attraction? What was the um, you know because they seem very different, um, and and you wonder too, what does she know about what he does? Because she knows he's at, at one point Ray's in jail. And he's trying yes. to keep a secret from his daughter. Mm-hmm. But his yeah, you do knows. wonder. Yeah. Because Allie doesn't him. fully know what he does, of course. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, so, you do wonder. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I love that you said that because I was thinking, I had two thoughts. One, one was about that when I was thinking about what we we're going to talk about. And that is when she's talking to him about his hypocrisy towards monotheism, but like. Unicorn. Oh, but. But unicorns are okay. <laughs> yes, I don't want to lie to her. I love you. That. Really, pick where you're full of shit, Ray. And and yes. his response is like, you know, you got me there. I mean, her her, she's always fair, and she's yeah. never enraged. Sometimes disappointed or frustrated, but then she also like in that like, I'm twelve, Dad. Like, she she also shares this uh, incapacity to correct or deal with the behavior from their daughter with him like mm-hmm. she's on one today i don't know like she commiserates with ray yeah so it's not just an- antagonistic and then the other thing that i was thinking of if i could which i loved for her for that person and for everything you said the other thing that that i think i love so much about this show you know especially thinking of sopranos and uh breaking bad and all those shows like and they're great shows but i feel like Never is this show ever concerned with is it smart or not? 
And like, I love that about it. It, it it's never trying to mm-hmm. um, taking it lets, clever, clever land. Yeah, it lets its characters be uh, make mistakes and also not yeah. be smart or or uh, progressive or you know mm-hmm. in moments. But it, they're they're never the dumb characters. It's yeah. just like you get different pieces of people and like the show is beautiful and and so well crafted. But I never feel like. Uh, I'm shown, I guess I said this already, but I'm, I'm, it takes a couple viewings to, to, for me to, to realize that I'm watching something so well-crafted instead of being hit over the head with it, because I get to go and enjoy these moments as with the characters as they do without kind of a direct you know, didactic, you know, theme or anything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Or so I, I like that it's just like uh, straight up with the people, straight up with what they want, straight up with what they show us. You know, it doesn't it doesn't lie to us. No, and neither does Ray. You know, other than to his daughter. <laughs> yes, and he doesn't answer questions. <laughs> no, just one more time expressed people the entire run of this show because I don't watch a lot of TV because I I no longer have the the time investment to put into a single you know series i agree with you uh, much yeah but the entire three season run of this show is only about 12 hours you know it it's it's not it's brief um first season is six episodes yeah six 24 minutes yeah yeah so uh it's it's not a huge commitment uh and you'll know extremely early whether it's for you or not Yes. Yeah. Well, guys, I want to thank you so much for doing this intro with me. We should probably jump into our conversation with Scott. Thank you. Well, Scott, (laughs) thank you so much again for doing this. We're going to kick it off by saying how much we love Mr. In Between. It's an amazing series. I want to thank you for that. It's just. No worries. Yeah. Such a great one. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. It'd be kind of awkward if you hated it, wouldn't it? I know. I brought you on just to like critique it. Gotcha. Gotcha, man. Welcome Welcome to the podcast. A couple of notes. (laughs) A couple of notes. No, but I did want to ask you, what's your deal with sandwiches, man? Oh, look, to be honest with you, it's a a long story, but I'll kind of go into it. But um, when I was a kid, um, that was lunch, was basically, you know, a sandwich, bit of butter, margarine on a piece of bread with a piece of, you know, like Strasbourg or ham or just some sort of processed meat on it and <laughs> another piece of bread on top of that. And that was it. You know, that was basically, you know, there might be a bit of tomato sauce or something, but then it'd get really soggy. So you get to, you know, I'd get to school and it's, you know, they, we had the morning break and I'd have my cakes and stuff like that. And then for lunch, it was sandwiches, and I just hated these sandwiches for some reason. I used to hide them. Um, we used to have a, a like a, a rug, a carpet rug in the room where all the kids would sit and the teacher would read the read stories. I don't know if you guys ever had that where you, you go sit on the, the mat or whatever. And, um, you know, at lunchtime, we kind of have to do that kind of thing a bit. And um, I'd actually shove the sandwiches under the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember, like I was doing this for months, 
And uh, right at the end of the year, they had like a spring clean or something. They were cleaning up and they pulled the rug back and there was this, these sort of green sort of sandwiches um, under the <laughs> under the rug. And the teacher's, like, the teacher's like, oh, my God, who would do something like that? And I'm just standing there going, yeah, that's terrible. Um, <laughs> that's probably where I started acting. That's where my acting career probably started. Um, but ever since then, I just never really could stomach. I didn't like them that much. But then after seeing the mouldy ones, the green ones under the rug, I just couldn't go. I just couldn't eat. I couldn't eat sandwiches again after that. I figured it was a toasted thing. one. Yeah. <laughs> it's a different thing it's a different thing completely Um, different food it's not the same scott i've got a way different experience to these guys than you because i live in southwestern sydney and so the guys are talking Mm. about you know we're we're getting prepped to have a chat with you we're all really excited it's such a terrific show and i was just like you guys have a different experience because where you see a character defending his daughter's honor and beating up a couple of thugs i go i've walked down that alleyway where he beat that guy up like i know exactly where that is and and so my experience is completely different but i just want to ask because i think this is really important from a storytelling perspective how did you guys come up with the 25 minutes because for me i mm-hmm. I, I i we're all like cinephiles and so for us mm. to watch a piece of telly or like, you know, something long form, it really has to be good. And with you guys, I just mm. think you've just, uh, there's something miraculous about Mr. In Between, or there's a lot of things, but that is one thing I'm like 25 minutes, every 40 minute show I watch could be 25 minutes. I'm like, yes. for God's sake, how did you guys come mm. with that? Was it just something deliberate or was it, I don't know, like the way that. No, it's, yeah, it yeah. was, it was very deliberate. I feel I don't like. I'm not really into the uh, one-hour TV, one-hour format. Um, mm. It just seems like a long slog, and especially today where everybody's so busy, it's like who's really got, you know, an hour? I mean, you might have if you're lucky, but it's kind of like with a half-hour, TV half-hour, it's it's like, yeah, okay, I've got, you know, I've got a little bit of time now. I can maybe, you know, I can maybe get through this, you know, Um and also people, I think, you know, our kind of, you know, what's the word, our uh, attention spans are probably not what they used to be because um, everything is so fast-paced now with social media and little clips of this and little clips of that and TikTok and, you know, everything else. It's like um, you kind of want to get people in, grab their attention, hold them, and then you kind of let them, let them go as, as quickly as possible. So, you know, I don't – but looking back, I just kind of felt like, you know, it should be 25, you know, or it should be TV half hour, you know. Um, and I was watching something, you know, I was watching something yesterday. Uh, my son was showing me a bit of uh, the latest season of Cobra Kai. Yes. And I'm like, how long is this? And he's like, oh, it's, I think it's, it's, it's like a half hour. I'm like, oh, cool. I was like, okay, I'll watch it. Had it been any longer, I would have been like, well, I just can't. I've got, I've got things to do, and I don't want to leave halfway through and then be like, oh, what, you know, what happened, or, you know. So I think, it, I think it works really well for, for a bunch of shows. I mean, I don't, I can't really think of a show that you really couldn't do that with. You know, I don't, I don't think it, it hurts. And and at the end of the day, if you want to watch another episode, if you've got time, you just watch another and another. So you know. I think it, it's an interesting uh, form because it doesn't, uh, there's not a lot of episodes that build up to a classic kind of climax, uh, you know, that, that a lot of uh, hour long dramas or even half hour shows, they fall into a formula where they hit 
you know, at the, the, you know, maybe they save a, a beat for the end after, after everything is wrapped up in an episode, but it's almost like two or three 10 minute vignettes. Uh, and they're not, not stacked the way, uh, you'd expect that to be uh, on a lot of shows. Do you, uh, do you get pushback on that? Uh, no, none at all. No, it's, uh, Fantastic. <laughs> no, I think it works. You know, if it's, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, it's kind of, I guess that mentality, um, yeah, we never had really any issues with that. I, I think it works totally fine. If it didn't, I mean, yeah, okay, you know, that's when you, I guess you'd expect a, a bit of pushback on it. When I was doing some research, I saw that you called yourself a writer first and an actor second. And I was wondering, oh, did, yeah. you, did you always love writing? Yeah. 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 Um, writing was... I was never supposed to be an actor. I was just a writer. That's all I wanted to be. Like from a little kid, a uh, little kid, I'd entered like writing competitions and stuff like that. I started writing scripts when I was, I wrote my first play when I was about 10, I think, 10 years old. Um, you know, I just enjoyed it. And when I would write stuff, people would kind of react sort of favorably to it, you know. Whenever I'd write a story, they'd be like, oh, this is really good. And, you know, and I was kind of like, oh, okay. And of course, I wasn't thinking, oh, gee, I can make some money out of this one day. <laughs> um, I wish I, had, I wish somebody had told me sooner. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just a, I was just a writer, and that's all I wanted to be. And I tried to be that, and I tried to send scripts to people, and try to get an agent, and try to do all that kind of stuff. And I couldn't get anywhere, um, mm. couldn't get any traction. So I said to myself, "Well, I'm going to have to just make a film." You know, um, yeah. that's what that's what I'm going to have to do. So uh, my my grandmother had given everybody pretty much in the family, like a, all the kids and stuff, like a a, a little inheritance, a couple of grand it was, uh, about 5000 I think it was. And uh, I decided I was going to use that money to buy a camera, which yeah. I did. And uh, then I thought, right, I've got to meet some people who are going to help me make a movie because nobody that I knew really was was into making films and stuff like that. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to go to university and, you know, I'll meet a bunch of people there. So I applied, I got in, um, I had my camera and for the first, I think it was the second year that I was there, I just said we had to make a short film uh, as part of the curriculum or whatever and I just said, look, I I want to make a feature, you know. I've done the short thing, I've done a couple of those, I want to make a feature now and they're like, they're like, yeah, okay. Um, they're like, okay, well, yeah. And I said, yeah. And they're like, uh, how are you going to do it? I said, well, I'm just going to write the script and um, I'm going to direct it. I'm going to star in it. I'm going to produce it. I'm going to edit it. I'm going to do that. And they're like, man, you have no hope. Like, yes, no. And, you know, luckily I was pretty naive. Like, I had no idea what I was going to be up against. And I was just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to do it anyway. So, um, I started shooting that at uh, when I was at university, The Magician, which became the feature yeah. film that became Mr. In Between. Um, and I had to learn to direct. I'd never directed really before. You know, I did it, I'd done like a short or something. So I was kind of learning as I was going and then I had to learn how to act, um, you know. So I, mm-hmm. you know, read books and stuff like that. I never went to any actual classes. Um, except one later on, and the, te- the, the acting teacher told me I'd never be an actor. So I thought, well, <laughs> best not, to, not to continue with uh, any kind of formal training. Um, 
and I didn't. And, um, yeah, but I was always just supposed to be a writer and that was it and I would have been quite happy with that. But unfortunately, you know, I I wasn't getting anywhere, and you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> Fortunately you know, for I us, I had to learn to direct, and I had to learn to act, and then I had to learn to edit. I had to learn to produce. There was no crew on the film on the magician, so I was the guy. I'd bring the props to set. I did the catering. I fed everybody. You know, I'd go down and get you know go down to the barbecue chicken joint and get the food with all the coleslaw and the, feed everybody cigarettes. You know, no sandwiches. <laughs> Because nobody was getting paid, you know, there was no crew. The guy who was operating the camera was one of the actors in the movie. There was no professional actors. I had no, virtually no, like I shot the thing for 3,000 Australian, oh. um, which is about 25 about, bucks American, I think, right now. Yeah, <laughs> nothing. So it was crazy. It was like a 10 day shooting, uh, uh, 10, 10 day shoot and um yeah that's 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 what I based the uh, the show on was that character and that film I mean basically I when I made the film I'm like I've got all these I had all these what I thought were great ideas for scenes and stuff but I had no money I had no professional actors as such and so it was heavily improv yeah but yeah to answer your question that's kind of a long way of answering it oh, the no. question is yeah I just wanted to be a writer. That was it. That's and incredible. So, I, I'm Rob. I'm a big, just a big fan of the show, as we all are. And um, it came to me pretty late, and I've watched it and watched it again. And I am an actor, and, you know, man, I thought what you did was, you know, let's run that tape back on that acting teacher because I thought <laughs> yes. what you did was really special. And um, yeah. Thanks, man. It's it's so it was so cool to see. Uh, I saw the magician. I thought it was great. I mean, hearing that story makes it even better. But um, we, <clears throat> I think, um, we think about Ray as you know his problem is explosive anger, but y- you use so much restraint uh, in the writing, like mm-hmm. you know, even in that twenty five minutes, and then Ray is constantly restraining himself with that like you know maybe it's i don't know what what is the right answer but you can see thoughts happening before reaction and um i just thought it uh it leaves so much for the viewer to participate with um and it brings danger, you know, I think, I don't know if I have a question, man. I just loved it so much. And, uh, you know, I guess like, it's, it's very clear that, that you, um, you know, you wrote a world for people to be in and you let them walk around in and we followed and it felt so intimate, yeah. you know, I mean, you, I guess, was that always the thing, you know, it seemed like a little more in season two, you know, um, I guess how did that feel to be to be directing everyone? I mean, I know you weren't the director always, um, but you know, keeping those pauses and yeah, I mean, keeping those pauses, uh, you know, and the stuff about the intimacy and all that kind of stuff. You know, I never wanted the show to have a huge crew because I felt like the bigger the crew is, 
the less intimacy there's going to be. Like, you know, the actors are going to be like, oh, my God, you know, with cameras everywhere and people standing around and all that kind of stuff. And also for me too, because I'd never acted professionally before, like this TV show was my first professional acting gig. So I showed up on set on the first day and there's like trucks and there's like 100 people and I'm like, holy, (laughs) holy hell. Like I had had an anxiety attack, you know. I had to go into the public toilets. We were in a shopping centre and I went into a public toilet and locked myself in the um, the, um, cubicle and just had like a quiet meltdown. Um, (laughs) And I thought, how the hell am I going to do this? Like I haven't acted before properly with a, like a proper crew and professional actors who've done this for years and all kinds of stuff and you've got two cameras and lights and extras mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, and money. You know, you're kind of like, oh, God, there's quite a bit of money involved too. So I was like, you know, dude, you can't, don't screw this up. Just well, it seemed like it you did, I mean, it might be. Not at you, all. Hit it out, you hit it out of the country, not just the park. But um, (laughs) how did you kind of let that go? I mean, I guess you know the the scene where you're talking about the way you grew up with um, your lady friend, Allie. um, The bullying scene. Oh my gosh! It was, I mean, incredible. Yeah. Oh, bro, Uh, sir. Rather, uh, you you had so much trust (laughs) in your audience. And it seemed like you had so much trust in her. And yes. Watching her watch you and listen to you. I mean, it must have. It, it, did how 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 did you let that go? Was that because it seemed like eventually it was all you had complete trust of what you were doing and other other actors with you. That that tension or anxiety or um, you know feeling like you you weren't uh, expert enough or whatever. Um, I think, I think having good, good people, you know, good, good cast, good crew, good director, you know, um, people that you can put your trust into that you're not, they're not going to, you're not going to come out of this looking like an idiot. Um, and that's what, that's what we had. I mean, you know, we were really fortunate, you know, the cast that we had, um, you know, we had some really great people who really don't really need to say a hell of a lot. Um, but can say things without saying very much, you know. Mm-hmm. And I and I certainly prefer that. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I'd write a draft of the script, and then when we're going to, you know, when, when we're sort of getting almost ready to lock it off, lock the scripts off, uh, I'm going through and cutting out half my dialogue. You know, I just go through and go, I don't need that. I don't need that really. I don't, you know, da 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 da, da and just pare it down to the, you know. To the, to the lowest common denominator. It's like I want him to actually say as little as possible verbally, mm-hmm. uh, which then gives you the space as an actor to go, you know, to do things without words, you know, to think about things and have that come across to the audience or, or whatever in those kind of moments. So, um, you know, he, he he's, he's a better character for not really speaking very much and sometimes you know if something was important I'd give it to another character I'd say well I'll give it to I'll give this to Gary to say or I'll give this to Bruce to say or to Ali to say or uh, Brittany to say um, if there was something that I really wanted to get across that's a lot for the, for, oh, sorry, Dad, for the, for the non-Aussies um, here 
I was just going to say for the non-Aussies, Brooke Satchwell, who plays Ali, is like a super experienced actor. She's so phenomenal. Everyone, it you know, is in this show and they've had like long careers. And I think if you guys are pretty new to them, like they've been on our screens for a million years. Like uh, I was re-watching a few of the episodes last night in preparation to chat to you, Scott, and my wife came and sat down with me on the couch in the moment where um, you and Ali are... Uh, uh, slapping, uh, there's some slapping going on and Brittany walks into the room and my wife is like, is that Brooke Satchwell? And I go, yes, it is. Cause she's only seen her on like a, a soap, an Australian soap called neighbors. And there she is right there in that scene. And, and that actually caught her and captured her for the next five or six episodes that I was binging last night in a row. And I was like, she's good. She's a great actor. She's, this is a great show. I, go, I, I didn't, it's not this pervy show that you just walked in on. It's actually, there's a lot of meat here. Uh, yeah, yeah. So. yeah that's, that's, that's probably one of the world's shortest sex scenes. I mean, I think, I think that sex scene, it goes for about a second or a second and a half. Like you just yeah. get a, you get a glimpse and that's it. Cause I hate gratuitous sex scenes. Like every time there's a sex scene, unless it's a porno, um, every time there's a sex scene in a movie, I just go, I just go, oh, come on. I go make a cup of tea. You know, I go to the toilet. <laughs> I, go, I, go, I just leave the room. I just can't, I can't handle gratuitous sex scenes in movies. It's like you don't need it. It's like, okay, they're kissing and they're undressing. Cut. We know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, why, why show it, you know? Like, don't ruin it. So, anyway. But I'm kind of like that with violence too. I prefer yeah. to, you know, if I don't have to show violence, don't show it, you know, infer it. And sometimes mm -hmm. it's stronger by what you infer. Like people sort of go, you know, an example of that would be um, the Monsters episode, which is probably my favourite episode. Of, yeah, of, of, very of powerful. Um, I think Nash really, I, I think I think that's the, the, the best episode that, that he did. Um, um, the direction there was, 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 was great. And, I love I love that episode and I love that, you know, like we shot a scene like Ray walks into the tunnel at the end, but mm -hmm. we actually shot a scene where Ray goes into the tunnel at the end. So you see him confront, you know, the guy. Um, and but we just decided kind of less yeah, is maybe. more. It's nice to kind of just, just have him disappear into the darkness and that's kind of a stronger image and um, more eerie. And yeah, you know, it's, you know, sometimes, you know, you, less is more, you know, whether it's dialogue or cutting out a scene. And sometimes it's difficult because sometimes, you know, the stuff you cut out is, a, is your favorite stuff. You kind of get, gee, that's my, that's, that's, that's like my favorite scene of the whole show. It's not in there. <laughs> my, my, my favorite scene of the whole, of all, all seasons is not in the show. Yeah. Oh, no. So, Nobody ever knows. Hopefully one day we can, you know, uh, put these all together and uh, stick them on the internet or something for, for people to see them. be nice. Very cool. Whose idea was it to cast so many directors and, and put them through hell? That, was, that, that wasn't me. That was Nash. I think he's got an issue with um, <laughs> I the directors. I think, I don't know what it is. I don't know what his issue is, but he's like, Oh, why don't we get uh, this guy? Like season one, it was uh, Chris Sanders. Chris Sanders, yeah, you beat yeah. having Chris Sanders beat up, yeah. You know, and you know, Chris really getting beaten up, and Nash is just doing take <laughs> after take after take. <laughs> I'm like, 
But I think we got it too. No, 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 no. And Cribs, like, you know, he's getting his head smashed into the wall. There was a hole in the wall at one point, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, shit, you know, what's going on here? But he does and pay himself. Just, he pays himself back, though. You get to kick him through a glass window, which yeah. is pretty rad. That like, you, that was, yeah. that was, yeah. that was, like, that, that was kind of, that was kind of my idea. I was like, why don't you play, <laughs> Trent? you know, um, why don't you play Trent and I'll get to throw you through a window? And he's like, yeah, cool. So, um, but yeah, there was a bunch. Like, there was, you know, of course, there's Dave Me Show. That was Nash's idea. He's like, what about Dave? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Um, but. And Dave's so great, but Dave doesn't really get – Dave doesn't get beaten up. No, but he, he gets he gets treated like he's exasperated. <laughs> All his time on screen, he's very exasperated. He's kind of emotionally abused or something. I don't know. You know he's kind of suffering a little bit. He's suffering a little bit. And who else was there? There was uh, – Was Kieran? the director? Kieran? Yeah. yeah, Kieran gets shot in the head, gets thrown into a <laughs> – of a van and shot in the head. Um, and who else? Is somebody else? Uh, Jeremy Sims. Uh, Jeremy Sims is in there, and Jeremy, of course, gets shot in the face at close range with a machine gun. Yeah. <laughs> somebody yeah. that inferred violence. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so yeah, I think uh, I'll have to, you know, maybe you, should, you guys should have Nash on the program and ask him. You know, what's the go? <laughs> what's, what's your the go deal? Yeah. What's your deal? I loved, I love that monsters episode too. I'm so glad you said that because uh, yeah. Terry uh, Amora, who is hilarious, usually gets to play this amazing yeah. dramatic role, and he just absolutely yeah. kills you, kills you. Rips, rips your yeah, heart out. So, so wonderful. So good. Yeah, well, I learned. Uh, you know, I have to to kids under two and i you know when i tell my therapist how much i've learned about being a parent and a, and a man from a show about a guy who lives in the margins of society and won't do any crime <laughs> yeah uh, if the pay is right you know he tells me i have an issue but um you know i love your relationship with your daughter yeah we, we see you struggle to connect and not be great at it all the time but fundamentally, you see what could have been if your character had a parent who loved you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. you became the father that you wanted to have. And it's quite beautiful and instructive. And the way you, you know, show patience with her. What was it like? Um, Working with her. Yeah. Nash's daughter. Oh, great. Is it? Oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Forgive my ignorance. She's yeah. awesome. Yeah, she really is. We, we, we couldn't find, you know, we, we kind of went the the standard kind of, you know, actor, child actor kind of thing. And we weren't getting anywhere. We weren't seeing anybody that we really kind of, we dug. And they said, oh, what about Chica? And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, you know, let's, you know, get an audition and see what she's like, you know, has she done anything or something? And he's like, oh, I don't know. She, I just think she could, I think he had a good, he got a gut instinct for some reason, mm-hmm. you know, and he knows her very well, of course. So he just kind of, I think he just kind of knew and he's like, hey, what about, you know, yeah, and we we got her to test and she was great. And then I acted with her 
and I knew how great she was. The thing that blew me away was I think it was the first scene I did with her was the conversation about unicorns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, right scene. Not Best. real. Very not mm-hmm. real. You know. And when I started talking about the unicorn being real and I'm like, you know, I'm out in the Blue Mountains and I stopped and I was doing a piss and I see there's this unicorn and you see her reaction, she's sitting there smiling at me but she's not acting. It's like I was actually, this actually happened to me and I was actually telling a true story and she just totally believed it. That wasn't pretend, and that's one of my favourite moments in the show is that little bit, oh. is that little, probably one of my favourite pieces of acting is that little bit because she's not acting at all. She's it's actually pretending that that really happened. And you, ne- you never really, it's very rare that you ever see something like that um, in, in, in TV or film. Um, and, and and it's just, yeah, it's great. So after and after, and she could go, I like to sort of improvise a little bit or play pretty loose sometimes, and she could go with that. It didn't phase her. She didn't kind of go, oh, it didn't throw her. She just kind of go with it. That's and good. she's not trained, you know, she's not trained like me. Just She's just a natural. And it was, yeah, it was a great experience working with her, one of my favourite people to work with on the show. That scene pays off so beautifully when Justin Rosniak's Gary peers behind the tree after you stage the unicorn scene. Like, I, oh, I just, yes. I just, when you look up at him and Gary's in the bush and he gives you the thought, like, I, it's just, it's one of the, be- I mean, Gary, Gary's such a phenomenal character because he oh just gets God. you in so many, he gets you in so many hairy situations and you guys have this like, like enduring love for each other and like dedication to each other. But that scene, I was like, that's your best mate. That's your best, even your best mate who gets you in all sorts of scrapes and scraps throughout the series. Yep. But that's your best yep. mate. The guy who'll glue a fake horn to a horse and cover them in white chalk and dye their hair and stand out in the bush for hours. That's that's yeah. your boy for life. The best ever. The best. I actually, I actually like wrote a enthusiasm, basically. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, Kirby enthusiasm. Kirby enthusiasm was 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 definitely an inspiration for. Larry and Jeff, yeah. Oh, yeah, like, um, you know, the scene where Larry has to go and get Jeff's porn stash or something in, in, in you know, I totally ripped that off. <laughs> I, to- I totally ripped that off. I was like, I'm thinking something like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I, and that's where the Gary porn thing came from. Um, and I kind of saw, I kind of saw Mr. In Between as kind of like a bit of a ripoff of, Kirby enthusiasm in a way. It was kind of like, well, what if what if Larry was a hitman instead of a comedian? <laughs> that's kind of, you know, that, that's that's kind of, that's kind of kind of kind of it to some degree. So, um, but uh, yeah, sorry, I got sidetracked there. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I can't quite remember what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> How Gary what? is, yeah, the best mate. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Look, and, and we've all got mates like that. I think. Yeah. I mean, we should. have. And I mean, the thing is, it's like, you know, you know, Ray gets him out of jams and Ray does this <laughs> and that for him. But when Ray needs him, oh, yeah. Especially in, say, you know, episode nine, season two, with, uh, oh, you know, when the, the kid goes. goes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's, 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 it's pretty quid pro quo. You know, it's like, it's not just Ray doing all this stuff for him. Gary, when he needs Gary, Gary's there. 
he's loyal and he's got yeah. his back. So I thought that was important too, because it shows that Gary actually does carry his own weight there. Yeah. He does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. They have such different uh, worldviews, um, but they, they coexist in a nice, nice way. One thing I really appreciate about the show with all, especially between Gary and Ray, the pop culture stuff that uh, they, they muse on that was so heavy, you know, after the, the Tarantino nineties, I love that they don't, they're not always right. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Daniel Craig. They couldn't Daniel yeah. Craig takes him like a, an episode and a bit to f- figure out what his name is. Who's that guy? Yeah, just love the, new guy. The, yeah. the, 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 the exchange is there, but but the, neither one of them are, are really that that up on, on the on the stuff. And that that's when I was writing that scene, I'm sitting there and I'm going, okay, I'm gonna rank them all, you know. And it came to <laughs> who was playing James Bond now, and I couldn't remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so I just went, I just went, because my, my dialogue's very sort of, what's the word? I just spew it out. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, yeah. what I used to do when I used to write dialogue was go, okay, I've got to massage this dialogue and get it so that it sounds, you know, da-da-da-da-da, okay, next bit, da-da-da, edit it, you know, polish it, whatever. What I now do and have been doing it for quite a while is just spew it straight out. So that way the characters they keep they keep talking and and so I was like, you know, I don't remember. I was like, who's playing him now? And I asked the question, hoping hoping that the other character would tell me who's playing James Bond now. But he didn't know either because you know, of course, writing <laughs> dialogue. But it's, but it's funny. It's kind of and I've said this before. It's like being a medium and you're channeling spirits. And you start writing, the characters start saying stuff to you and it's not necessarily what you want to say or think. This is why, like, for me, some people, they, they kind of have a really good idea of who the character is and they're like, you know, this is who the character is and this is their backstory and this is exactly who they are and this is what I'm going to write to. Um, whereas I kind of don't know who the hell they are really very much until I actually start writing them. And then it's like it's like that scene in The Sopranos where uh, Paulie goes to some guy who channels spirits or ghosts or something, and and the guys just kind of they're, they're talking to him as he's as he's sort of sitting there, and it's kind of like that. They just start talking, and it may not they may say things that's not necessarily what you would think that that character would say, but you kind of go with it, and it's kind of like they're telling you who they are and they're showing you who they are, and sometimes. You know, they're naughty and, you know, you have this idea that you want to go here with them and they go, well, no, I don't want to go there. I'm not going to do that. I want to do this. And so you go down that road with them and go, okay, well, okay, I'll give you the better for the doubt. Let's get in the road and see what happens. And most of the time it works out. It works out beautifully. So, um, yeah, but it's a weird it's a weird thing. Writing dollars is a weird thing. It took me a long time to be able to be to get it. To, to sort of where it is now, uh, it was very, very difficult um, to do. And, and and part of that is kind of finding your voice. I mean, when you first start writing, you're just copying everybody else. You're just like, oh, well, you know, I like that movie, so I'm going <laughs> to write like that, you know, or I like that movie, so I'm going to write like that. And it takes a long time to just sort of go, yeah, look, stuff it. I'm actually just going to write the way I want to write and, you know, 
and I started writing, you know, that kind of the dialogue that I write. I started I started writing that probably not long before I saw um, Reservoir Dogs. So I was writing that kind of dialogue, but then I'd read it back later and go, are people really going to want to, like, are people really going to want to listen to characters talking about this crap that has nothing to do with the story? <laughs> it's not driving anything forward. It's what's the point of it? Like, you're mm-hmm. not really learning anything. Like, what's the, what's the, what's the point of this dialogue? Um, and then I saw Reservoir Dogs and I went, holy shit, it works. He's doing it. Mm-hmm. And that gave me, you know, watching his film gave me the confidence to kind of go, just just do it, buddy. Just 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 go for it. And, you know, I think the thing is, you know, with, with dialogue sometimes, I think the beauty of having dialogue that sounds we we have people just talking about stuff that has nothing to do with the story. You get yeah. the feeling that these characters exist in their own right. They're not just there to drive this thing forward. Mm-hmm. They're not here just to serve the story. They exist in their own right, you know. And also because, you know, when you hear people talking the way that you talk as a person, it hooks you in. I mean, it hooks me in. Whenever I hear characters on TV show or film, they're just talking crap, but they talk the way real people talk. Mm-hmm. I'm suddenly invested. I don't care what the story is. I don't know what the story is. I'm invested in these people in these characters. Um, um, and I think yeah. that's why people got so invested in the characters in Mister in Between because they're kind of real. I mean, they're not, but they are. You know, <laughs> kind of. A good example of that is when um, season two opens and we see on the couch with Allie and him. And, uh, you know, at first I'm like, well, they're talking about when she went to the bathroom and her leg and she's being moody. And I'm like, in an American show, she would be pregnant right now because we established she's (laughs) peeing a lot. And she's and here it's just something that happens. And I love that. So it's kind of just that's how people talk. Yeah, my my yeah, my, yeah. my nearly six year old yeah. daughter P is is trying to break out, uh, trying to break that P record as we speak. You know, like <laughs> it's, it's, I've literally said that to my daughter. How? When did you last pee? How much are you drinking? I have to, you know, especially when she's younger. So I'm always like, doing. She's a freak, so she's a frequent peer. Oh, she just drinks so much. She's only like she's nearly six, Scott. So she just like she'll get a, 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 a in Australia we call them popper, and in, in America you call them a juice box. But she'll have like a popper, and she'll have a drink bottle, and she just like she just drinks like she's out on the turps with her mates, like skull and beers at the pub, and and she just goes to the toilet all the time. And I'm just like, slow down, kid, for God's sake. Does she, Sorry, boy. does she have a fear of uh, does she have a fear of dehydration or something? Or? <laughs> I don't. Maybe in a past life, but uh, certainly yeah. not been instigated by me. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> can you not afford one roll of dunny paper a day? <laughs> hey, I can afford it. I mean, <laughs> but it's uh, the annoying thing. Like, like so much of the so much of the show. Like, you, you got an idea. Like, so much of the show is just ripped off from real life. Like, I was seeing somebody a couple of years ago. I was seeing somebody a couple of years ago when I was when I was writing season season. What, what was that? What was Dunny? Was that season two or three? I can't even remember. I think season it was two. Three. Was it? I think I, season three. Okay. I, I'm not sure. The, you know, the whole Dunny roll thing, you know, I seen this girl and it, and every time she'd come over, like she she'd come over and then she'd leave, and I'm like, 
where's all the fucking dummy paper? <laughs> like, wait a, like, I buy these double rolls, like they're like they're like twice the size of a normal roll, and it's like a fresh roll. And she'd be there for like overnight, and then she'd go, and I'd go, you know, I'd go to the toilet, gonna have a shit, and I got to reach across, and I'm like, what? Like, is she stealing? Is she stealing my toilet paper? Like, is that what it's it all about? Yeah, like she gets, yeah, she's not really that into me, but free toilet paper. And what else is she stealing? You know, should I go and get my wallet? My credit card? You know, like, and I and I actually said to her, I said. I said, what's, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, what's with the toilet, you, what's with the toilet paper? You know, like, what's going on? And she says, well, you know, I, you know, I use a lot of it, but what, what's, what's going on? Well, she goes, well, you know, I wee and, you know, then I use my intimate wipes and I'm like, what, you what? I didn't know what they were. I'm like, what's your wet, you intimate wipes? Like, oh, you know, like little, you know, the wet things, the wet one things. I'm like, okay, right, okay. And then, and then what do you do? And then she goes, oh, well, then, you know, I, I do that and then i got to get the roll and then I've got to wipe and then I use this and I do that and I wipe again. And I'm like, why are you wiping again? You've already wiped. What's the point? <laughs> like everything that happens in that conversation virtually it's word for word what happened in real life, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, the sex conversation with, uh, with Brittany, you know, explaining that to her. Nash told me the story. You know, Nash said, oh, you know, I had to tell about the birds and the bees and da-da-da, and she's like this and that, and she's like, oh, I came from your balls. You know, she actually said that. I didn't like that. She said it. I came from your balls. And he's like, well, part of you came from my balls, part of you came from your mum's tummy and all this sort of stuff. And I was just like, he's telling me, and I've got a pretty good I've got a pretty good memory for conversations. Like if I have a conversation with somebody, I'll pretty like five years ago, ten years mm-hmm. ago, I'll pretty much remember it. Um, so I just absorb it like a sponge and then just sit down and just basically 95% of what is in that scene is what he told me happened. So, so what was his reaction be to reading Be careful the what we say to you basically because it's going <laughs> to end up in the scripts. Yeah. Oh, I say that to people all the time. Like, I'll be talking to somebody and I'll get my phone out and I'll start making a note. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm just like, yeah, no, this is a good conversation. This is a good Like, I had a conversation with my son last night where he's like, he was trying to do a knock, knock, knock joke and I'm pretending mm-hmm. that nobody, is, I've never heard a knock, knock joke. So he's mm-hmm. going knock, knock and I'm like, you know, I'm like, yeah. And it was, I won't go into detail, but it was really, really funny. But halfway through the conversation, I'm sitting there writing a note and I'm writing the dialogue as we're kind of doing it, you know. And, um, you know, when it comes to time where I have to write a scene with a, an adult and a kid um, that doesn't necessarily have to drive the story forward, I've got that. You know, I don't have to sit there and think of dialogue because mm-hmm. there's nothing worse than sitting in front of a, a yep. computer trying to figure out what you're going to write. Yeah. You know, that, that's the worst thing. Um, I generally tend to do all that thinking and then sit down and go, right, and if I've got dialogue, I've got a list of you know, I've got a couple of pages of uh, of just dialogue notes. This conversation, that conversation. You know, you know, was there a you know the Titanic? What did they hit an iceberg or did something else happen? Blah 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 blah. Yeah. Ad nauseum. That that makes the writing process much easier. Just having those little notes there for scenes, for dialogue. 
Um, so you're not sitting there staring at the screen going, oh, my God, what am I going to write now? You know? I, I saw a lot of that between uh, between Gary and Ray, like the the 007 stuff. <laughs> it's like it's so believable. It just sucks you in. Love it. Love it so much. Yeah. And then you're talking about the moving the story forward. Like, uh, it's Dave, right? Dave is the one with the son. Yeah, Dave. Oh, I'm God. sorry, I'm a little off my Low game today. Like... So that mm. that that convert that, that relationship starts one way, and then they're in the car, and they have this connection, which is just like you know, drive time, but believable, and ultimately, you know you make a choice what felt like to me based on who the guy is and it changes everything between you two and you know and and, and you see like a brotherhood created in front of your eyes as opposed yeah. to a brother that you lose later on that you served with you know and, and tried to help out um hmm. it was so so interesting to see like this meandering funny charming if not you know not the most politically uh, correct, but like believable conversation. And, mm. and it did move story forward in, in my opinion. So anyway. Well, it does. And some, and some, yeah. Look, I, I, I generally, if I've got a, every scene, I, I, I get this feeling that every scene, there should be something interesting in it and driving the story forward in and of itself is not good enough. You know, mm -hmm. if you're going to drive the story forward, give the audience something that's entertaining. Give them something interesting. Give them a conversation or whatever, but something that holds their attention while they're learning what it is, what, what it is they need to learn to move the story forward. You know, mm. I hate it when I see just, I see movies that are just story, 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 which is what my early scripts were. All my early scripts were garbage in my opinion, um, <laughs> they were just story. It was just so-and-so goes here and blah, 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 and he says that, nah, and then they go here and they find out that the butler did it, and then they go and then they do this other thing and they blah, 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 and it's just story, 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 story which I find really kind of boring. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm always trying to avoid story as much as I can, Um but if I have to kind of move the story forward, I try to do it in a way that's entertaining within the same, you know, give them an interesting conversation or something uh, as well as giving them the information. Um, well, you, you yeah. bring, you bring life to the story. You're, you, it's, that's when you, for me, I start, you know, like you were saying, I really believe these are human beings out in the world on their own trajectories and we're catching them along these given circumstances as opposed to, a bunch of fools the writer is toying around with, you know, and mm -hmm. I, that, yeah. that's the, the breathe, like the heart of, of the show for me were those moments and they were so beautiful and funny and, and that, you know, rude. Yeah. It was that conversation too, that conversation that they have in the car was a conversation I had with <laughs> my next door neighbour years before who was going to have, <laughs> going to have a kid. And he's like, oh, gee, I just hope I don't. They didn't know the sex, I don't think. And he was like, oh, gee, I hope I don't have a girl. Mm. And I was like, like, I was like, why? And he's like, oh, man, you know. And I'm like, no, no, really, why? And he's like, oh, 
you know. And then he he starts telling me this stuff, and I'm like, I'm like, holy shit! And I just somehow remembered it, of course, like it just went in my brain, like useless, stupid information. I'm like a receptacle, mm-hmm. you know. Like, I do the same it, thing. Yeah, it's gonna save the world or something. Forget it. But if it's just dumb, stupid crap, my yep. brain just absorbs like a sponge. So I remember that conversation and I'm like, okay, Dave and uh, Ray, there's got to be something here. There's got to be a conversation here that kind of, you know, where they kind of, there's got to be something. And then I just thought, ah, he's having a kid. And that's where that came from. Maybe he's having a kid and they have that combo that, because it just stayed in my head, that conversation. I thought it was just so absurdly kind of funny in a way. Yeah. And what makes it funnier too, the, the funny thing is, like, you can have these conversations in real life and they're not that funny, really. They're not that kind of funny. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah. But when you actually put them on the screen, they become funnier for some reason. Mm-hmm. Why would you even film that? Like, why would you even <laughs> want <laughs> that out and film it and put it in something because it's so banal, yeah. it's so stupid, it's so kind of dumb, and it kind of makes it funny. It makes it kind of funnier, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway, and it pays like off really well at the end because he's going to have his kid. Yeah, I love that. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. He's got to yeah. go, and I was like, yeah. okay, he's got to get out of there. Oh, the kid. Okay, maybe she's maybe she's yeah. about to drop the kid. Okay, good. And that got me out of that one. So yeah. Oh, it's so great too because they're they're the power dynamic in that car is so clear at the beginning, and then you have this thing in common, and mm-hmm. then Ray kind of you know usurps the cleverer position, and but while that's happening, they're also instead of like a power struggle, they're just they're just two dads doing a job, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> And Dave says that to him. Dave says, hey, you know, no hard feelings. They're nothing personal, you know. Yeah. And Ray knows that. He's like, yeah, you're just like me. You're just doing the same job on you, dude. It's not personal. I don't hate any of these people that I get paid to kill. Um, but i got to kill them, you know. That's my job. That's what I've got to do, like a soldier or anything else. It's like, you know, that's what I'm trained to do. It's what I'm paid to do. I'm going to do it. No hard feelings. No problem, dude. So, yeah, of course, you know, when it all goes to shit and, you know, him and Dave are just kind of standing there and Dave's expecting, fully expecting to get shot in the face. Like mm-hmm. he's just shot one He's just got these other three guys. I'm next. And then Ray just offers him a cigarette. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, oh, okay, nothing personal, you know. And he knows, like it's nothing personal, you know, like. He knows Dave's not going to come after him. But that's a special yeah. moment, and Dave recognizes it. It's, yeah, sure. It's great. But yeah. Dave's the goes- character that surprises Ray. That's why I like, I, I almost felt, and I had this like implicit feeling, it's hard to describe it when you watch it a few times, like their friendship. But I'm like, mm. he's the first guy that gets the jump on Ray in like almost the whole series. And he gets the jump on him mm. twice. And right, and the second time that he's in the car behind you, you go, oh, for fuck's sake. You just, I don't even know if it's audible, but just your face of like, oh, for fuck's sake. Not again. Yeah, it's a bit of he's like, 
it's it's sorry mate sorry mate and it's just like come on let's go and it's like actually you know what game recognized game that was good like mm-hmm. that was good yeah. yeah i respect you yeah. you, should, you know you're good at your job you know we're both in this yeah. situation and then he even says to you he's like you, you i think he says like you cheeky prick or something like that with the frag grenade he's like that was sneaky and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. pretty good. Uh, and then you're going off from the smoke. It's just the best. Like that, that by the time he makes yeah. the call, you're like, oh, this is totally something Ray would do. Ray's not going to shoot this guy in the back. He's not going to shoot this guy in the back. He's mm. going to mm. say, go off, yeah. do your thing. Enjoy my yeah. absolute favorite episodes yeah. that I think gets to the characters because he's got a code, but you're not really sure what that code is situation to situation it keeps surprising you mm-hmm. is that um, mm-hmm. the see in your dreams episode mm-hmm. and where he's got two people that he knows that he's got a relationship a prior relationship with one of them has done nothing to deserve it but he agrees to kill him the other absolutely has run out of chances and deserves to be killed but he lets him go mm-hmm. And, yeah. uh, you know, oh. it, it really pleads for his life. And it's, mm. I, you know, it, I don't know. Did that, did that surprise you or, or was there something particular in the writing that you were trying to get at in that, or, or is just intuitively come out that this is how Ray would handle that? Which, which situation do you mean? Are you talking about uh, the, the, um, yeah, the, the biker that he knows uh, mm-hmm. from yeah. before and 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 then yeah. the um and then the bounce the the guy that uh freddie took on and then you know uh had to be fired oh yeah dirk um yeah dirk um or vinnie um what happened to vinnie yeah vinnie that actually that storyline actually came from sort of real life from something oh, really? that I'd, uh, something that I'd read yeah and I just kind of ripped it off as I do I'm a thief <laughs> I'm the biggest like you have to really yeah if it was a crime I'd be I'd be doing serious time you know if stealing other people's ideas and stuff um you'd be able to handle yourself in prison you'd be able to yeah. handle yourself in prison you I know prison so. napalm with some jam yeah, You'd be fine. You'd be oh fine. yeah, meditating. Cue up some kinks. Oh, I can Yeah, yeah. Bit of hot water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Vinny, yeah, that was actually kind of a true story. Um, the wow. Dirk thing, the Dirk thing was just kind of all made up. Um, I just thought that was a that was an interesting trajectory for that character, a guy. Because I'd seen a guy. Here we go again. You know. I'd seen a guy on YouTube years ago and he was talking about war and he, he was like, I think it was like the Serbian-Croatian uh, some kind of war or something and he was talking about the things that he did and he said, you know, he said kind of my my life had promise and then after that, after I did what I did, it was like that promise was gone mm-hmm. and it was something really sad and horrible about it and tragic about this guy that had done these things and and I kind that was kind of the inspiration for that character was just seeing that moment of this guy talking on on YouTube you know and uh you just looking at stuff on YouTube is something I do a lot you know I just I just 
this, this, that, the other. Anything that's slightly interesting to me, I'll, I'll watch it because you never know mm-hmm. when it's going to come in handy. You never know when you're going to write something and you're going to be, oh, you know, I'll use that or when something's going to be inspiration for an idea. Um, so, yeah, I do that quite a bit. Was Ray was Ray the way that Ray talks, especially and interacts with people? Was that an inspiration from anyone? Because I had this weird thing that happened to me one time where I like where you you know I'm sure we've all had this where you like you meet a really dangerous person and you don't realize how dangerous they are until like halfway through. Like there was one night where I was on the phone mm-hmm. to a mate and I was I was on the phone to a mate. I was living on the central coast in New South Wales. I'm on the phone to a mate outside in a park and I'm having a cigarette and it's just up the road from my house. I've just been walking around having a cigarette, talking to my mate on the phone. I was sitting there and a guy comes up and he goes, can I buy my smoke from you? And I go, yeah, man, no worries. And I was sort of half talking to my mate and he started talking to me, even though I was on the phone and I sort of like had to kill the conversation that I was having. And he was there and he was just like, I must've been loud. I I don't know how loud I was. I have no idea. Right. But he just goes, he goes, Oh, can I give you some money? I go, no, 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 it's all good. And he goes, now, if you don't get the fuck away from my house and stop watching it, you're going to be dead in like a minute. And I looked at him and I knew that in his face, he was not joking. And I just got up and I ran, like just got, just got the mm. hell out of Dodge. There's no fight in here. There's nothing. And that's the one thing mm. I love about Ray is that like, there's a lot of bluster. There's a lot of people who are blowhards and they want to start trouble. And then there's people who mm. are trouble. <laughs> and yeah. you can like sure. smell it sure. and I can almost, it's yeah. almost like a tactile thing that when you're watching Ray and he just smiles at someone mm-hmm. and you just go, oh, this poor person is in so, such dire, dire straits right now. I don't know. It, they, they couldn't possibly imagine how much trouble they're in. I was just wondering if it was like people that you've encountered in your life that you sort of base some of Ray's like danger mm. on. Mm. I think it's, you know, it's partly people that I've met, yeah. you know, um, you know, yeah, partly people I've met, you know, I've had conversations with people, with people I've been friendly with and, you know, suddenly they're talking about burying a body or something and then you're kind of like, hmm, okay. And, you know, um, it's, you know, yeah, sort of, yeah, strange things happen sometimes. Um, but, yeah, I don't, when I, when I think about Ray and where he came from, I mean, he, I guess he came from so many places and people like I was you know Chopper Reed of course yes who who I mm-hmm. met and hung out with uh one night um he was he was the head ju- I'd, I'd put I'd put the magician the feature the, an, an early version of the feature into this film festival in Melbourne um and he won he wound up being the head judge that year <laughs> so wow. of course the magician which was kind of based on his character and books to a great degree, ended up winning all the kind of prizes that year in that in this little in this little festival. But I met him and told him stuff again. And, and I guess yeah, there's a bit of Ray there. There's a bit of actually I was watching something the other night. I was watching Sexy Beast. Yes. Oh, you can see a little bit. Yep. And I totally ripped off Ray's look from Don Logan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw Don Logan, I'm like, you know, shaved head. Little bit of moustache and a bit of this going on, and nothing mm-hmm. else. I'm like, yeah, I totally ripped that. I totally ripped. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know, there's so many other people, and there's people from books that I, I ripped off, and uh, from films, from TV, all over the place that I just kind of 
that he's like an amalgamation of a whole different bunch of people who don't exist and do exist. Um, so, yeah, but it's hard to pinpoint one particular kind of person. But, you know, there was, you know, there was a guy in Sydney years ago, a very tough guy who was just a little guy, you know, and there's something... There's something about that because when, you, when you're going to play a part like this, you kind of think to yourself, oh, well, I've got to go to the gym. I've got to, you know, I've got to get the steroids. I've got to get, um, you know, roids and get down the gym. He's a hit man. He's got to look dangerous. He's got to be muscly, big, you know, don't mess with him, all that kind that's, of stuff. That's the Jason Statham remake of Mr. In Between. Please don't make that happen. <laughs> that's right. um, <laughs> That's coming 2023. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, he was going to break yeah, that news later. So. <laughs> I mean, he, he's lucky he he's big enough already. But, um, yeah, there was that kind of whole thing where when, when I was sort of thinking about it and I was thinking, you know, and then I was thinking that, yeah, I kind of like the idea of him just being just kind of like a, an ordinary kind of person in a way, mm-hmm. that there's something about him just fitting in with you know, you don't look at him and go, oh, watch out. Um, but if you mess with him, then you find out. Then you go, oh, gee, especially when he smiles at people, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and then you kind of go, Ooh. Like the end of the show, I was going to ask you, did you always know that image was going to be there of you smiling? Yeah, that one pretty, yeah, that one pretty much. I mean, the look at the camera, that was actually Nash's idea. Okay. You know? Yeah, I wasn't Very thinking effective. about a look at the camera. And he, goes, he goes, why don't you just look at the camera? And I did the little look at the camera. And then it's like, well, yeah, I think this could work. So we did a bunch of those. But, uh, um, yeah, that was always that was always a thing, you know, because people, I mean, I didn't think much of the smile, to be honest, but people somehow made a big deal about it. They're like, oh, mm-hmm. and he smiles. And, blah, 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 and he's got all these different smiles. And if he smiles like this, then you're in trouble. <laughs> and and so I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, you know. And uh, so when it came to writing that last episode, it was like, I just thought that was kind of a nice way to finish it up, you know, without any dialogue. Yeah. Um, it's just a look. It's just down to a look. And you know what's going to happen. I mean, most people yeah. know what's going to happen. These two are in a lot of trouble. Yeah. You know. You don't need to say anything at that point. No. Like well, uh, we've, we've no. had the 20, 27 episodes or something <laughs> to that point no. to learn. Yeah. This you kind of know what's going to happen. <laughs> When that so smile comes, when you—I'm hey? sorry to interrupt you, sir. Go ahead. No, my bad. No, you go. Uh, so when you when you uh, smile, you know, down the barrel, I turned, you know, to my wife, and I was like, "Ray knew we were here the whole time. He let us watch. <laughs> yeah, we're his mates. We're his yeah. mates. He's letting you in yeah. on it. You know, it's like yeah. it's like a joke between Ray and the audience. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's like you know, you know what's going to happen." Yeah, you know, goes back to magician almost like the documentary. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, and that had happened to me. Like when I was driving cabs in Achuca, um, I picked these two guys up one night and I took them out in the bush in the middle of nowhere. And one of them, the guy in the front seat, turned to me and said, "You know, I think somebody might die out here tonight." Ooh. And I stopped the car. You know, and the guy in the back sort of leaned forward, um, and you know. So I was like, yeah, well, I'm going to use that for the, you know, he's retired. He's now driving cabs in this country town. I'll use that. And maybe that can be an ending for, for the show. And it 
you know, ended up that was it. And I think most people are pretty happy with the ending. I mean, oh, a lot yeah. of people are not happy that it ended, which is great because that's what you want. You don't want people going, oh, God, thank God it ended. <laughs> Yeah, like God, you don't want that. But um, yeah, it sort of worked out pretty well. Um, yeah. You know. What's next for you? Next is I was writing a zombie film a while back that I've okay. been working on for 10. Oh God, I've been working on for since 2005. Oh, wow. 17 years, probably 11 drafts. <laughs> it, uh, it just doesn't work you know okay. it doesn't work <laughs> you gotta put that never on really work. <laughs> but the thing the thing about it is there's this character and his 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 his, his arc is kind of interesting ah. you know so he's always at me you know mm-hmm. he's always like you know he'll show up every now and then when i don't have anything on he'll be like dude you got to tell my story it's you know it's it's a good story you know and i'm like yeah okay so I'll go and write it and then I'll be like, dude, no, it's not, it's not working. I mean, I got 30 pages into that and I stopped. And then I started something else. I had I had I had these three ideas that I really liked. I had like 20 ideas on a page. And I had these three ideas that I liked, but I was like, yeah, look, I don't quite think it's a feature film, because that was the thing I was gonna do next. I was like, TV and mm-hmm especially multiple seasons of TV when you're writing all the episodes yourself. Yeah, it's like it's like multiple it, movies. Oh, it is. It's like yeah. three feature films in three months or something. Or, you what, know. What, what, what are they, Scott? They're 25-minute apps, but they're like 35 pages, probably a script, right, or 30 pages a script pretty much? Oh, look, it was probably – if you look at season two, for example, it was about five pages um, <laughs> and we did 12 apps um so hundreds and hundreds of pages probably about three feature length films worth of material that Mm. you got to come up with and you've got to write it and you've got a very small you don't have enough time so by the end of it you're sleeping for four hours and you're writing for 20 and having a nervous breakdown and stuff and also you know so um but it so was in like every scene, basically. So you have yeah, to get well, it done much. ahead of time. Yeah. I started writing myself out of scenes. Okay. If you notice, <laughs> that's smart. Season three, it's like let's follow Gary now. Let's follow. <laughs> let's follow. You know, Gary's yeah. got a porn business. You know, where's Scott? That doesn't matter. Um, it it all know, stayed so well constructed while being flexible. It was so surprising yeah. while also being very important um without you know celebrating itself like it's incredible to me that you wrote all of that without a room behind you and uh it's perfect i mean it answers the question of why is he mr in between what is he now like it's brother home run anyway that's my opinion i interrupted you but i'm I'm a little sick and i told uh (laughs) jed and and Jen and Blake, I'm like, no, I'm here. I got to tell them how much I, I fanboy out a little bit. They're like legit critical film writers. And I'm just like some asshole actor who's ready to just tell you how, how, how damn great this show is. I tell everyone, I'm like, bro, you'll get through season one, night one. And then, then it's on, you know, it's like, <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry I interrupted you. So, you're no, sleep, you're cool. writing yourself out of scenes. You're you're writing twenty hours, sleeping four. 
Yeah, it was a tough gig. So I, I was kind of like, I don't know that I want to do serial TV, like multiple seasons, like, you know, like a, you know, like a limited series might be a thing. But I had these three ideas, but I was like, none of these, there's not really enough. I don't know that I could make a feature film out of any one of these ideas. You know, it's okay. just, I don't know if it's, I'm going to have to pad it and stretch it and la, 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 which I'm not really good at. I'm not good mm. at stretching. Um, and so I thought, yeah, but what if I take these three ideas that I've got, right? What if I take, you know, serial killer runs into somebody that he should have really left alone, um, bank robber, romantic comedy, road movie. <laughs> I love it. Romantic comedy, and they, of course, they laugh and they go, oh. <laughs> but it would be, of course, it'd be a romantic black comedy, I guess, rather than a romantic comedy. But I had these three ideas, and I thought, I'm just going to put these together and see if I can stretch this into something. Um, that would be cool. And it, it, you know, and with it, without having to stretch it or pad it or whatever. Yeah. And, and and yeah, it's looking pretty good. It's uh, it's it's long enough for a feature. And I think the way it's going, it might end up, I might end up possibly doing it as a limited series for TV. So, oh, right. congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, a little half hour, six apps or something, six or seven apps and just sort of get in and get out like the first season of um, Mr. In Between. Very cool. I, think, I think that's, that's a completely underrated, it's an underrated sort of very British and we kind of inherited it as Aussies that like BBC six apps like yeah. there's something magic about that, like six eps and a couple of the, you know, you know, like I think there's a, uh, the in, Idris Elba out. series. Yeah. The Idris, Idris Elba series, like Luther, like it was like two six app mm -hmm. series and then a couple of the extended series, like four eps, four eps. And it's just yeah. like, they're a little bit longer than the 25, but absolutely that same thing of like, man, it just moves and you got it. And then if you want to do a big binge, mm -hmm. like sit down in one night and like do it almost like a, a stretched out feature for yourself, you've got it. Like yeah. it's all there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. I mean, you can, you, you know, with something like that, you can watch it as a TV show or you can watch it as a feature film. It's completely up to yeah. you, you know. Yeah. Like I, I would love, I don't know how popular this is going to be, but I'd love, I'd love, I'd love Quentin Tarantino to take, you know, say Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and make it and, and, and give us a TV version. You know, all yeah. the stuff that you took out, all the hours of material, all the stuff that was taken out. Like a mate of mine was in a scene in it. And uh, he was kind of cut out a lot, and he was telling me about the scene, and I'm like, oh my god, he cut that out! It's like it's a great scene. <laughs> it's like, I'd love to be, you know, make a TV version that's, you know, that's, you know, th this is the great thing about TV. You can make a version that's six hours long. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, you can put all that good stuff back in there. That's one of the problems with features. If you, you know, if you're making stuff ninety minutes for two hours, two and a half maybe, but anything over that. Features are just not a good option. You know, TV mm. is a much better medium for that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'd love to see because, you know, it's like it's Tarantino. You get more, how many Tarantino films do you get every, you know, two or three years? And then you're thinking about all this stuff that's been cut out and you're like, oh, my God, what did you cut out? <laughs> <laughs> see all that, you know, because I could, I could watch a five-hour version of, once upon a time in Hollywood. Just if him it's driving the whole time. I can watch it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and you can be like, oh, he's driving. I'll go and make a cup of tea, come back. He's still driving. Okay. <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> I'll do something and I'll come back and there it is, you know, I'll have a sleep, whatever. You know, um, just give me more, you know, more of that good stuff. So, um, yeah, anyway, sorry, long answer to a short question. But I, I just want to see you making more more stuff, man, to be honest. Yeah. Like in, in, in Oz, um, my friend who's a who's – a, like really great author and she's a screenwriter as well. Maria Lewis, she did a, she was working for the Australian center of the moving image and they did a series called yeah, noir, like, so mm-hmm. Aussie noir. And she, you know, she originally was screening it and she loved, she's a huge fan of your show. She loves it. And she was nagging me to watch it before I'd seen it many years ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. and, and I was just like, some of your ideas were like, well, we don't need you to talk much. You just need like some of those noirish kind of neo-westerns or a noir film where just not a lot of dialogue, not a lot of dialogue for your lead character. Just let him sit down and just enjoy a space, enjoy a time. But just seeing Aussie crime, especially in the brand, that black comedic brand that you have in that very sort of understated way, I think like more of that, please, in any medium that you give us, that would be amazing. Yeah, well, hopefully somebody will give me some money and I can continue. <laughs> yeah. Continue, Anyone listening, continue we're going to, yeah, we'll get it done. How much you need, man? How much? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, whatever, whatever you can give me, mate. My first feature was 3000 bucks. So, you know, if 6, you can raise five, sounds good, right? Yeah. That's a big week, I mean, margin. I get that's a big margin of profit, man. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, the beauty is, like, the cameras nowadays, like, the camera on my phone is about four times the quality of what I shot my first feature film on. <laughs> yeah, Soderbergh's making movies thing, on his yeah. phone. So yeah. you're good. Uh, now you got to negotiate like Ray. You got to negotiate like Ray. You got to be in there. Look, that's 90 grand. Okay. It's not, I've got to bury him. And then, and then you got to have your mate being like, nah, man, you, don't, you just dig one bigger hole, you know? Go on, don't worry about it. I'll just get into character the next time I'm negotiating. Yeah, 100%. 100%. I just don't want to scare anybody. I mean, I don't want to scare any of these executives. I'll get a bad name and work. Yeah, look, it's kind of creepy and, you know, (laughs) nobody will create meetings with me anymore and, you know. Uh, That scene is like every couple dudes, like, splitting a tab at at a restaurant, you know. (laughs) (laughs) 70 for five. Oh, man. Um, just take Justin Rosniak as Gary with you as well, just as like to the comedic yes. relief. Just oh take him along. Just go, mate. I'll pay you a day rate just to come and like be in the room with me and talk nonsense. Yeah, oh, mate, he, he, two he, he is, oh, mate. Yeah, he is such a he's a talker. He really is a talker. He is he's fantastic. Maddie Nable, who played Dave too. Maddie Nable rules. Um, yeah. He's his so improvisation. Good. Like his improvisation just was amazing and his acting is just amazing. So natural, great. So many great people. Nicholas Kassam who played Bruce. Oh, Bruce is so tragic. One of, the best, one of the best performances I've ever seen in TV, for sure. Absolutely. Um, you know, we've got so that many scene, talented man. people here. It's that crazy. scene at the end of season two. Oh. Yeah. So he good. Does. And the stuff that he did with Brittany as well. I know. Yes. Just the expressions. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. yeah. He's sort of trying to hold it together, but he can't. And, you know, yeah. it's just 
good. Even, even, the little, even with, the little uh, scenes, the nails, when, yes. when she paints his nails, that's yes. just mm-hmm. ador- adorable. And you're like, it looks beautiful. It's <laughs> just like, yeah. it turns around. It's that's Ribbon India that's just beautiful. It's it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Um, I, I do want to shout out, there was one actor we haven't talked about, Jackson Tozer, who plays Vasily, maybe as one of the biggest laughs in your show. I've watched it many times when you chop him in the forearm and he's not dead. Is just one of the best. It's one of the best. Like, you're like, oh, no, do I have to watch Ray Chopper dude up? Like, this is going to be really yes. full on. But you just, and, and like, I remember it distinctly in my guts of like watching it and going, oh, please don't, I don't, I don't want to watch Ray chop someone up. I know he's a, I know I'm a big process guy when, in movies. I love the procedures of stuff. I love watching, you know, a stakeout like you have to do or, you know, figuring stuff out, marching around a house to check all that. I love all that stuff. It's really I really get off on it, but I was like, oh, please don't show Ray's how good he is at chopping up a body. I don't want to see it. And then when you chop him in the arm and then he argues with his sister, it's just just fantastic. He's just amazing. And well, he was he was so good. There's a little thing that he does, it's very subtle. There's a there's a great thing that he does in when he first meets Ray. So when Ray comes over to apologize for the porno, Jackson's coming out of the toilet. And he just does this little thing where he goes, oh, the pee guy. He realises that Ray's yes. the pee right? <laughs> yeah. And he's already shaken Ray's hand, right? He's already shaken Ray's hand and he realises that Ray's the pee guy. And as Ray walks away, you just see him wipe his hand on his I saw that. <laughs> As if it's kind of like there might have been some wee on Ray's hand. <laughs> that is just that little moment. It's just. Is 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 one of the great moments of, of of the show for me. When I you know if I watch any part of it, you know, um, it's it, that always kind of stands out for me. Just that little little moment that he put in there, you know, that he put in there. So yeah, he was great. Yeah. Well, Jen, I really want to thank you so much for doing this. It was such a pleasure. Really good oh, conversation. Love, yeah, love the series. Yeah, thank you so much. No worries. No worries at all. And, and, thank you, and thank you for showing the American friends here um, all the places where I walk to do my shopping, but you show people getting beaten up. So I just want to say a huge <laughs> thank you from kidnapped, beaten up. Everybody parking, wins. Yeah, having an you watching your daughter's ice cream get knocked out of her hand. I'm like, I, that's. That's Padstow. That's like that's that's where that they're, they're shooting that in Padstow. That's, that's like two minutes away from my house. Is, is um, Padstow so, a bit of a rough place, or not really? Like not massively. I mean, again, different parts of Sydney, different times can be pretty rough. But yeah. like it was yeah. like you. But I remember. I just remember this scene. The guys were like, we were, we were chatting before we were talking to you, and I was just like, yeah. I just was reminded watching this show that like I I know where Ray beats up most of these people. Like I've I've been there, I've walked along streets and, and in all of the streets. Maybe you, could do, maybe you could do like guided tours, the places where Ray <laughs> beat up and, and places where Ray killed people. You know. Like and Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, 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 for these for these guys, they're going to start getting DMs of me, like when I'm going down the shops. This is where Ray beat those guys up. <laughs> Maybe you could go and paint paint a crosswalk on them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Totally. Get a little van and drive people around and be like, yeah, you know, da-da-da, da-da-da. like Seinfeld tours they used to have. You know? There you go. Uh,
There's a guy in Vegas. Um, he passed away. His name's Frank Culotta. Jen, Jen knows about this guy. He's like uh, the movie Casino is supposedly based on him. And um, he would do tours around Vegas of where he like whack guys. Yes. Uh, he turned, you know, he turned snitch to the feds and, and outlived everyone. And he would do those tours too. <laughs> I was like, just get in. Get in Ray, Ray's cab, man, and get, you know. <laughs> the magician part two. No. Yeah, you, you go where. I would totally go on that tour if I was ever there. Yeah. <laughs> now, do you know how scared people would be? Do you know how scared people would be if, like, you rolled up to a tour to see where oh. hits were taking place? You rock up, you're like, oh, it's the tour of where Ray whacks people and beats people up and stuff. And you take people out to some place where I whack somebody in the show, like out in the bush somewhere. And when you go out there, you go out there at night. And when you go out there, I'm already there digging a hole. <laughs> it's like Pine Barrens. <laughs> Sopranos. Yeah. Like and you walk up in your little tour bus with all these people and it's like, ah! <laughs> I start shooting. in the hole. <laughs> Everybody, sorry. get in. I, I, I'm sorry, we've only got a certain amount of seats and Ray's coming home with us. So <laughs> whoever draws the short straw, you're going in the hole. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Yeah, what a tremendous piece of work you turned in. And um, thank you so much for, for that for that uh, creation. I know we all, I, I'm speaking for me, but I know we all agree. Like what, what a truly yeah. exceptional piece of television. And thanks for your support yeah. guys. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. the thing is, you know, we got, we got a very loyal bunch of fans here, you know, that, that, that love the show and it's a word of mouth show. Everybody tells everybody to watch, you know, everybody person tells 10 people to watch it and bothers them until they watch it. And, you know, we're fortunate that we have people like that who are so passionate about the show and love it so much. And they just want to share it with people. Um, as do I, you know, it was an idea that I had that I wanted to share. I thought this is a character that, you know, that, that should be seen and, um, you know, thanks for your support. Of course. You know, yeah. Appreciate it. Thanks yeah. Scott. Yeah, have a good one. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Great to chat to good you. Good to see you. Take yeah. it easy. soon again one day, you know? Yes, yeah. absolutely. 100%. <laughs> when Tarantino does the five-hour cut on Netflix of uh, on Once Upon a Time, we'll get in touch. Yes. <laughs> I also want to thank everyone for listening, especially my patrons who support the show and help fund my research, equipment, film rentals, RSS fees, and more for as little as a dollar per month at the Film Intuition Patreon, which is the home base for the show. Other ways you can support the podcast are by sharing, reviewing, and subscribing to Watch with Jen wherever you get your podcasts, and also checking out the cool merch store hosted and created by our talented logo designer, Kate Gabrielle. You can find the merchandise store, including shirts, tote bags, stickers, and more by visiting filmintuition.com and clicking on the shop link. The show's theme music is solo acoustic guitar by Jason Shaw and is available in the free music archive. You can also reach me or interact with Watch With Jen anytime on Twitter, either at Film Intuition or our Watch With Jen account as well. Well, until next time, please take care and happy movie watching.
This is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com and FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen.